Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid. If you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you got Guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. We should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f*** are the Knutsons? These are big movies think about big men in tights. Roll that mother camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies AFI Top 100 Countdown African Queen. Bogey and Hepburn, number 65. Matt. I feel like we're making progress. 65, that's a long ways down the list. Yeah, we're chipping away, man. You know, And I don't know about you, but I have the uh, sudden urge to get to Disneyland and uh, take a little ride on the Jungle Cruise. I was just talking this week about going to Disneyland. You know, the uh, Star Wars is opening oh, in the yeah. next uh, next couple of weeks. You won't be able to get near that thing for years, I'm sure. Well, our plan was, and, and tell me what you think of this plan, the two days after Labor Day, in September. I feel like not a lot of families are going to take off the first week of school for vacation. So don't you think though, like the Tuesday and Wednesday after Labor Day, don't you think that's kind of a nice pocket, theoretically? Uh, aren't they doing a lottery? Like, isn't isn't the uh, the demand so big? I'm so glad we're starting off right out of the gates with <laughs> hot African queen talk. Um, isn't there like some kind of crazy lottery that you have to get in, that you have to submit yourself to just to mm. just to get on a waiting list to get in? Or maybe that's just Orlando? I, I have know. no idea. That might be the hotel, too, because there's a full immersive yes, of experience. Course. For well, if, right, if well. you and Laura are thinking of doing that, let me know, because I should be back in L.A. by that point, and I'm obviously Ooh. chomping at the bit to get down there and you know last time you and i went to disneyland together uh yeah there was some craziness to say that's one of the greatest experiences ever (laughs) yeah anyway this is not a disneyland podcast not star wars podcast (laughs) although the the you know the remake of african queen disney's jungle cruise is gonna uh come out in the next couple of years too yeah well that's why i brought it up because technically the jungle cruise is somewhat inspired by this film for obvious reasons and i i gotta say i i'm Surprising! I'm actually kind of excited about the Jungle Cruise movie because I think it lends itself really well to a cinematic adaptation, more so than I even expected from Pirates of the Caribbean, for example. Yeah, I mean, it's just an easy narrative, right? It's uh, you're going down the river, the river moves one way, and you're trying to survive all of the different uh, roadblocks that uh, get in your way, right? Absolutely. and Easy peasy. And on that note, I'm actually kind of surprised that they haven't remade the African Queen in the last 70 years. That's that's kind of crazy, right? That I mean, I, I can understand not remaking Casablanca because it's a sacred text or whatever, but the African mm-hmm. Queen, even though it's a classic, it seems like it's rife for a remake, right? Or, or re-adaptation of the book, at least. Yeah, I mean, who would you who would you cast here? Would it be oh, uh, Clooney and Meryl <laughs> Streep or something? Although Meryl Streep did The River Wild, so she probably wouldn't <laughs> want to go back 
to this. I like where your head's at, though, because Clooney's <laughs> about the right age. Bogart was 52 when they made this movie. Hepburn was 44. So they're actually not they're not that removed from, I think, what they're playing, and they're not that removed from each other. So it is kind of refreshing to see them both sort of playing their age, you know, playing an age-appropriate romantic yeah. duo here. Would it, would it be too weird to have Kate Blanchett playing a Katherine Hepburn role after playing Katherine Hepburn? God, I, I really like where your head's at here. I, I'm, <laughs> and I'm so proud of you for having these things teed up. I love it. George Clooney and uh, and Kate Blanchett. Let's do it. We get Brett Ratner in there to direct it, and uh, we got to <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, poor. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean for Brett Ratner to catch shrapnel. He hasn't done anything wrong in a while. All right, African Queen. Matt, what's your what's your history with with this movie? Because mine is pretty minimal. I think I had seen it once, either early college or late high school. This film has been a part of my life for pretty much my whole life. I remember oh, wow. always, wa- you know, watching it with parents, with grandparents, and you know, holidays. It just. I think this is just like a classic AMC staple of the of the eighties and nineties. Um, Back when AMC was American Movie Classics. And it just was a really easy, enjoyable, simple, you know, you could put a kid down in front of it and they could follow it. Um, You have this thousand watt star power coming from two of the biggest movie stars of all time. And uh, you just have a beautiful, interesting, exotic backdrop and a really kind of jaunty score and a very satisfying finale. Yeah. This movie's just an easy sit. And we can get into how it's aged and some of the hokier stuff that hasn't aged so well. But uh, I think for the most part, this movie is kind of unimpeachable. And by that, I don't mean that it's flawless. But I mean that it's just like it's a very, it, there's nothing controversial about this movie, right? Yeah, it's an easy sit. You know, I I always try to grapple with the symbolism of these classic movies being on the list, whether it's for we had to have this kind of movie here in this spot because it just seems right. Or it's or if it's really about the actual quality of the film itself. Kind of ambivalent about this movie in particular. I, I do think the uh, the whole of the film is greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and yeah. I I think that's mostly the, uh, the the two leads just being great, and I, I think that is the main driver of the success of this film. Obviously, is just two of the greatest actors of all time at the top of their game, sort of in interesting later career roles, um, and that's fun. I mean, the movie, the narrative itself, yeah. I mean, there are some things that uh, are not, or maybe a little too convenient at times. You know, the, the special effects stuff hasn't aged well, but your main point is is the one that matters, which is this is just such a breezy easy sit feels a little bit like a backhanded compliment i suppose it it is is. (laughs) so and this movie definitely shows its age i mean some of the the model work here i feel like i i can sort of like let that slide and it's not terribly jarring or distracting but some of the rear screen like the process stuff is pretty rough even Mm -hmm. uh even if you give it a little bit of uh you know benefit of the doubt and it's just you know it's kind of it's sort of oddly paced and tonally a little bit all over the place yeah some a couple of deus ex machinas happening especially at the end of this movie yeah and it you know it at the risk of getting obvious about this it it does really feel like kind of a meandering trip down the river you know like it's kind of just a lazy meandering movie and it kind of just chugs along sort of coasting on the spit and polish of this of the chemistry right yeah so i mean as bogey is kind of just like kicking the the steamer kicking the engine of the uh, titular boat the movie's just kind of like continuing to kick the narrative every now and then and you know just about the time that it's losing steam then all of a you know all of a sudden leeches show up right yeah or, yeah, yeah you know or a storm shows up or rapids show up thinking about it now it, it is sort of baffling that it didn't it doesn't even have to be a remake but more movies like this 
don't exist, right? Like, it seems like an easy narrative to, that you could have a lot of fun with. It doesn't have to be in Africa. It could be in the Amazon or it could be whatever. But just have a very simple goal as you're going down the river. Have a have it be character-driven. Have some fun little roadblocks along the way. And that makes for a satisfying film. But but you're right. Like, the you know, the legacy of this movie is not about the other films that it inspired. Just saying, George Clooney is 57 years old and Kate Blanchett's 49. It freaking works. I'm saying, let's go pitch this thing right now, man. I'm ready. Like I said, all the rear screen projection problems, those those could be solved. And, and, you know, the most satisfying parts of this movie for me are all the things that are clearly shot on location in, in Africa. I'm so glad you brought that up because it really is significant that they shot a, a lot of this movie in Uganda and the Congo. Yeah. Right? So it's not like, it's not just that they went to go and shoot this thing, the African Queen in Africa. They went to like the deep heart of Africa, right? Yeah. <laughs> they literally went to the Congo to shoot a lot of this. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of it's shot on stage and all this rear screen stuff we're talking about was all shot in London and apparently part of it in Turkey as well. Yeah, I just love that commitment to go take these huge, bulky Technicolor cameras, 52-year-old Humphrey Bogart, over to deepest Africa to shoot this thing. And you got to give John Huston credit for being crazy enough to do something like that. This movie cost a million dollars. I'm sure it was a pretty decent-sized budget at the time. Pretty decent-sized budget for a movie that really just stars two people you yeah. know for the for the most of the runtime you know where's this movie for you sort of fit in with uh john houston sort of oeuvre like what what's your uh where does this rank like what does it mean to his filmography all that good stuff you know it's i think it sits smack dab in the middle of his filmography uh this is the lowest rated of the three films he has or the lowest ranked rather of the three films he has on the afi list treasure of the sierra madre which i consider to be his masterpiece comes in at number 38 and the maltese falcon is comes in at number 31 Mm -hmm. and this significantly this film dropped a lot between the two afi list it was 17 on the original list which is bafflingly high (laughs) that's preposterously high and it dropped all the way to 65 which is a little more reasonable but to answer your original question i mean john houston is such an interesting journeyman that's specifically his legacy and that's why he's steven soderbergh's filmmaking hero because steven soderbergh never wanted to be on a tour you know he never wanted to be stanley kubrick he wanted to be john houston because he wanted to be able to make all kinds of different movies and all kinds of different genres and all kinds of different formats and that's mm-hmm. kind of what Houston did for his whole I mean if you look down his filmography it's you know it's crazy man it's you know it's Annie right it's the musical yeah. Annie and it's the man who would be king and it's Fat City and portions of the original Casino Royale and uh, <laughs> Pritzy's Honor Pritzy's <laughs> Honor with his which you know he directed his his daughter to a to her Oscar you know The Misfits which was you know Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable's last movie fucking The Maltese Falcon was his first movie just such an interesting guy and then obviously um, you know was a, was a war hero was a very accomplished actor as well, mm-hmm. starring in the recently released Lost Orson Welles film, The Other Side of the Wind, last year. Yeah, yeah. So just a fascinating dude. If, if you're interested in this kind of stuff and you're interested in someone like John Huston's exploits offset, you should check out the Netflix documentary series Five Came Back, okay. which is about all these filmmakers who went over and, and contributed their filmmaking skills to the war effort. And it's like, you know, John Ford, William Wyler, John Huston. Really interesting dude and was also just kind of like a very manly sportsman as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like he would just go on safari, you know, and just go and like hunt elephants and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this kind of stuff came relatively easy for him. It probably wasn't difficult for him to go and, and spend months in the Congo. Um, yeah. And apparently he and Bogart were the only two members of the crew who didn't get sick over there because they were subsisting mostly on whiskey, which is maybe a bit of <laughs> Apocryphal, but well, hum, you know, Bogart died what six years six later. Six years later, exactly right. 
you know, from consumption. So yeah, I mean, it, it is weird. I mean, having it ranked 17th initially is is preposterous. Yeah. But even looking at it now, because this is a movie, like I said, it's, it's breezy, easy sit. I don't feel like its ambitions are, are crazy high. No. And to see it, you know, one spot ahead of Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> kind of hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Matt, let's let's get to the brass tacks here. I mean, do you think this should be on the list? Probably not. This feels like a ceremonial inclusion to me. I don't think it's anywhere near Houston's best film. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I hadn't seen it in years, and I think I had kind of um, mythologized it a little bit. Sat down and watched it with my mom a couple weeks ago, actually, because it seemed like the kind of thing we could could share. Yeah. yeah, I think we were both a little tuned out. You know, I mean, yeah. it's you know, we keep calling it an easy sit, which is a backhanded compliment. I mean, it has its moments of real magic, you know, and most of those just stem from that intangible star power and chemistry. And I could sit and watch Humphrey Bogart and um, Catherine Hepburn spar all day long. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me the context that they're doing it in. Is it worth the watch for them? And is it worth the inclusion on the list because it's these titans uh, getting to share the screen together in a ultimately kind of like a simple disposable narrative, but a great star vehicle for them? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with it. I I don't think it's egregious that it's on the list. It's probably too high, which I know is sort of becoming a little bit of a running theme with the way (laughs) we talk about a lot of these films. I think as we get past the halfway point we might start committing to like yes this is good this is right this is the spot for it twist my arm i think there's other films that could take this spot on the list but it has some really really magical moments not least of which is a very very satisfying and romantic and and uh, exciting climax which significantly is a huge departure from the book and i haven't read the book but i just sort of like breeze through the wikipedia synopsis and they both survive but they basically are escorted off the boat they're sort of taken to separate places and interrogated bogart is conscripted into joining the army and joining the war effort um they do eventually get married i don't know it sounds very sort of like convoluted and strange and and unnecessarily protracted whereas mm-hmm. in the movie it's the movie just is really they're so smart with the way they simplify it boom boom you know exciting romantic explosion mm-hmm. done <laughs> it's just yeah it's a great cinematic simplification it reminds me a lot of the simplification of the ending of the bridge on the river Kwai. famously in the book the bridge doesn't blow up and if you're making that movie <laughs> you gotta blow up that goddamn bridge exactly yeah. interestingly this is also sam spiegel the same producer on on both films so yeah you look at you look at that book and you look at the way the book ends with the bridge not blowing up and you go out there and you you know you're going to shoot this film and you're going to build this bridge we're going to have to blow this thing up as the climax mm-hmm. of the movie right <laughs> and that's and that's the decision that gets made in the African Queen. We're gonna have to blow up this boat. Yeah, and it's the right decision. It's the right decision, but how it happens? I mean, it's 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 a little silly. It's a little silly. A lot of luck involved, but I do appreciate how tidily everything gets uh you know gets cleaned up at the end. I like it. It is romantic. I like how steadfast both of them are, and you know they're not trying to get out of what they've done or whatever. The luck involved both in that scene and then with the you know the boat gets stuck in the mud and the rain comes overnight and whatever. So like they get lucky. It's not of their own skill. So that's kind of that kind of bothers me a little bit but it's just an it's just a nice movie but it does seem weird that it has had this sort of long-lasting legacy i wonder if part of it it's just the star power right and i think it's it's a little bit of a travelogue movie you know it was shot in africa and you know audiences and stateside were able to see a part of the world that they probably were you know not terribly familiar i mean i'm not familiar with that part of the world no. at this point i've never been to the congo no so in that regard it's still pretty exotic and uh, the cinematography by jack cardiff who's you know kind of a legend he 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 worked with Powell and Pressburger and shot Black Narcissus and the Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. I think his Technicolor cinematography, rear screen process shots aside, is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. It's got a really uh, you know fun, kind of jaunty earworm of a score. 
yeah. by Alan Gray. Yeah, it's just it has a, you know exciting sequences of shooting the rapids, and then they get all stuck in the reeds, and they have to you know it's it's got this really rough second act quagmire where they're pulling the thing through the mud and the reeds and the leeches, and it's got a really strong sort of like second act low point which I feel is pretty darn effective. And yeah, you're right. There's a deus ex machina that comes along in the form of a, um, of a big storm, but it's, you think it's consistent with the region, right? <laughs> like it's not, sure. it's not literally like God has decided to, to flush them out of the, I mean, yes, there would probably be storms happening in this part of the world. Matt, you got a favorite line from this movie? Yeah, I do. Um, I think we should start focusing as we talk about these kinds of films on uh, some of the more memorable lines, because considering that, you know, most of these are what one would consider capital C classics, they're obviously going to have classic quotes so the one for me that really stands out and the one that you always see when they show um, you know highlights from this film is one of the many times in the movie where Bogart's character Charlie Allnut gets drunk he says a man takes a drop too much once in a while it's only human nature and then Catherine Hepburn follows up with nature Mr. Allnut is what we are put in this world to rise above There you go. It's some you sum up both of their characters in one exchange, right? Doing some just brief Wikipedia research, saw that the character originally Humphrey Gobert, Humphrey Bogart was not Canadian, but was from Britain, had a Cockney yep. accent, and mm-hmm. apparently he could not pull it off. <laughs> just for fun, would you have preferred to see the version where Humphrey Bogart is really struggling with a Cockney accent? Will that just be more fun to have on the historical record? This is his one Oscar. He this is. His, his only Oscar win and I think he he deserves it he's he's exceptional in this movie to answer your question I would absolutely <laughs> love to hear if there's if those tapes exist somewhere in the bowels of the uh, of the academy mm-hmm. uh, I certainly would love to hear those that test or if it you know if it's sitting in Angelica Houston's or uh, Danny Houston's uh, basement somewhere <laughs> yeah I would love to hear that but it is it is it is funny I mean I can't think of a single film where Bogart didn't sound like Bogart right I'm not I'm not a Bogart completist or anything so there maybe there are films out there where he put on an accent or tried to play something besides himself, but I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Probably didn't come as a big surprise that he couldn't pull off a Cockney accent. Yeah, I, I do like that he's Canadian though. I don't know I don't know why. It seemed like a random decision until you know, you know I read that little piece of trivia. But Matt, any final thoughts on uh, on African Queen? Yeah, it was the first produced screenplay by uh, James Agee. Mm-hmm. who is probably best known as a as a very famous film critic. Yeah. Uh, which he went on to become later. Uh, his only other really significant script was his script for The Night of the Hunter, which is a classic that should be on this AFI list, but for some reason is not. Like I said, Bogart won his only Oscar for the film. Uh, Catherine Hepburn was nominated. It was her fifth nomination of 12, uh, but she did not win. That's okay because she won four other times besides this. <laughs> and, you know, we always talk about Meryl Streep as being, you know, she obviously like holds the record for the most nominations for a for an actor. It's significant that Catherine Hepburn's 12 nominations were all for lead. Yeah. But Catherine Hepburn doesn't do supporting, right? No, fuck no. You know, like, I, I think that this movie, like, kind of gets off to a slow start. The The first 30 minutes or so is, it, it's a little lost and a little jumbled, and then it sort of, like, finds its footing once they get out on the river, and then I think it gets really, really strong in the third act, and there's, there's a fun exchange with that actor Peter Bull, who's probably best known for uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. He's the Russian. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the Russian. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably what he's best known for. But he's actually quite charming and quite funny in this as the de facto German heavy. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, pretty much everything in the third, you know, everything on the German boat at the end and the, the hanging and the marriage and the explosion, uh, all that stuff just works really, really well. And the two of them, you know, floating away and, and singing and being in love. There's just there's just something lovely about that. I love the way this movie lands. Yeah, I, I do like like how it ends. Um, I, you know, I didn't know what I was really expecting going into this movie. having you know, not having seen it in a long time, but it sort of uh, both exceeded and, you know, disappointed me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but <laughs> I liked it quite a bit, but I was also left saying, really, that's a top 100 movie of all time, you know? Yeah. You, you see, you look at the movies around this on the list, and you see a lot of films that I would consider masterpieces. Nothing about this movie screams, you know, masterpiece, right? It's fine. I mean, it's an interesting inclusion. Uh, I'm glad it moved from 17 to 65, and I, I, I'm guessing if they did a 25th year anniversary, maybe it wouldn't be on the list at all. Yeah, I, I think that's... I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't think it probably deserves to be on a list like this. But at the same time, I do think it's something it is kind of required viewing for for film historians. This is something everybody should see once in their life. And then uh, then I think you're good. Like just, (laughs) you know, just got to you're saying don't don't buy the Blu-ray, just rent it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on voodoo or whatever you have. I mean, John Huston, you know, John Huston is a very important figure in the history of American cinema. And uh, and I wouldn't expect even mo- even diehard film historians to be John Huston completists necessarily. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do think you need to be able to knock off Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and the African Queen, even if perhaps the African Queen doesn't deserve to be on the same list as those other two, which are obviously his masterpieces. Yeah, it's not a slog. It's fun. And that's about it. This has been We Like Movies, AFI, Top 100 Countdown, number 65, African Queen. Next up is uh, Network, right? Yes, that will be a lot of fun. Can't wait for that. That's a big one. That's a big one. That's one of my all-time favorites. So I'm very much looking forward to that. See you, Matt.